Good afternoon, and welcome to the John DeVito Show. Today we're doing our show on serial killer Ted Bundy. So as we've talked about, we've had several of these uh, series here in October, and we're doing this the whole month of Halloween. And so far we've done H.H. Holmes, John Wayne Gacy, and now we are doing Ted Bundy in addition to Jeffrey Dahmer. So we've had this serial killer series all throughout the month of October. And we're going to be going down the list of the most infamous serial killers in the history of this world. And I can't think of anyone that's more evil, just more dire, more insane, more just crazy than Ted Bundy. I mean, Ted Bundy was a guy that, um, you know, he was, he denied the, committing these murders for years. He eventually confessed to 30 homicides. People believed that there were many, many more. And he was a guy that typically approached his victims in public places, and he was pretending to be injured. And he was a guy that was, you know, very charismatic. He was a good-looking guy, and he was able to, you know, really fool, I think, a lot of women into believing that he was injured, that uh, he had some, you know, some issue with his uh, physical being. And he, he was just, you know, a charismatic guy, an evil guy, a guy that was able to just manipulate people. And, you know, he, he was, again, one of the most pro pro prolific serial kiss killers in the history of this world. So there are so many, you know, serial killers that we've talked about and so many just, you know, evil people. Oh, and there goes my music. It just turned out really loud. So there are so many evil people that we've talked about that have been serial killers over the years. We've already highlighted some of the most infamous serial killers in this world. And I don't think anyone really could be considered any worse than Ted Bundy. I mean, Ted Bundy was legendary. And if you met him, you know, he's not like a creepy looking guy. He's not a type of guy where you would look at him and naturally be afraid. He'd be a guy that would come across as charismatic, as handsome, as someone that you would want to know better. And he was very, very successful with luring women in because of his good looks and his charm. So that, to me, makes him, makes him even like a scarier force as far as a serial killer. So let's learn a little bit more about Ted Bundy. Uh, Ted Bundy was born in 1946, and he passed away in 1989. Now, Ted Bundy was an American serial killer and rapist. Ted Bundy was one of the most notorious criminals of the late 20th century. He's known to have killed at least 20 women in the 1970s, and the numbers went as high as 33. But some people believe that Bundy may have killed, you know, over 100 people, maybe even more than that. So we don't really know how many people that he killed, but there was a confirmation that he had been most likely in the 30s. He was eventually executed in the electric chair in 1989. So finally, you know, the death penalty got him. And they finally caught him and they arrested him. But it was quite a procedure getting him even in prison. Now, Bundy, who, who again, I mentioned, was born in 46 and died in 89. He was not, not only just a murderer and a rapist, but again, we've heard this from some of the other or about some of the other serial killers. He was also a necrophiliac, which to me is just disgusting to even think of. So for people that don't know what that means, that means he would have sex with the bodies after the person was dead. So he was executed, but, you know, he was saying that for him, murder is not just about lust and it's not just about violence. It's about the possession, <laughs> he was saying. So just a creepy, evil guy. So 
I, I always like to, when I'm talking about a serial killer, serial killer, I always like to look into his childhood because there's so much talk about, you know, how did a serial killer become evil? How did they become a monster? How did they become the way that they were, where they ended up, you know, taking people's lives and raping people and murdering people and, you know, as he was a necrophiliac, having sex with dead bodies. I mean, it's just baffling to most people. So a lot of times experts look towards the childhood and sometimes these serial killers do come from horrible childhood, but I think sometimes they're just wired the wrong way. And if you have like the right combination of an abusive home, um, you know, maybe an abusive parent, like an abusive husband, or I mean, abusive father, abusive wife, you know, one of them is responsible for creating the monster. Like I know a lot of the serial killers had, that had trouble with women that killed women. They, a lot of times had problems, you know, with their mothers. So I'm not sure if that's the case with Ted Bundy or not, but let's read a little bit about his, uh, his childhood and see if we can find some clues here. So, uh, Eleanor Louise Cowell, who went by Louise was 22 years old and unmarried when she gave birth to her son, Ted. Ted's father may have been Lloyd Marshall, so it sounds like they didn't really know who the father was. He was an Air Force veteran and a Penn State graduate. So he was a guy that went into the Air Force. You know, he went to Penn State, a very good college. So obviously an accomplished and educated man. And now according to Ann Rule, who was a coworker of Ted's and the author of the book, The Stranger Beside Me, other sources had Ted's, Ted's father father's name is Jack Worthington. Well, some rumors had it that his father was also his grandfather. So obviously he come from like a messed up situation. Now, Ted's birth certificate lists the father as unknown. His biological father's identity may never really be confirmed. So, you know, again, I mean, that's not something, in my opinion, that will drive you to being a serial killer. But he did grow up in an unstable house. He had his mother. He didn't know who his father was and obviously did not have a male uh, presence in his life. So, I mean, that's a little bit of unrest in a, in a young boy's life. So in 1951, Louise married Johnny Bundy. Uh, Ted took his name and he reportedly didn't have much respect, respect for his stepfather, whom he resented for being too uneducated and working class. Johnny and Louise had several ch children together. So that's interesting because Ted was kind of an educated guy and he was a very polished individual. So for whatever reason, he had like a superior superiority complex over his stepfather, but he did take his name and it sounds like he just did not respect him. He felt like he was beneath him. He felt like he wasn't educated. He was, you know, blue collar working class and uh, Ted Bundy looked, Ted Bundy looked down at him. So I guess his mother Louise was working as the secretary uh, of Puget Sound and still married to Johnny in the late 1970s when Ted Bundy was accused of his crimes. She refused to believe the charges for years, although she changed her stance after, you know, he confessed. Now, for me, I get that. I mean, if your kid is being accused of being a serial killer, of being a monster, of being someone that is raped and tortured and murdered and performed horrible things on the human body, I mean, as a parent, you're not going to want to believe that. So I can understand why the mother would look at her son, especially if he was handsome and charismatic and educated. I mean, you wouldn't want to believe that your son was capable of these type of things. So Bundy was actually born. I didn't know this. He was born in Burlington, Vermont. So he was a New England guy. On November 24th, 1946, Bundy started life uh, as his mother's secret shame, as his as his illegitimate, uh, illegitimate birth humiliated, humiliated her deeply religious parents. 
Luis delivered Ted in a home for unwed mothers in Vermont and later brought her son to her parents in Philadelphia. So she was embarrassed. She was trying to hide the fact that she hadn't been married and he was considered to be illegitimate. And, uh, you know, that's that's tough. I mean, he was born right from the very beginning as, you know, his mother's shame. She was embarrassed. She had to hide it from people. Uh, she tried to get rid of him. And then she eventually ended up bringing her son to her parents who were deeply, deeply religious and didn't believe in having you know children out of wedlock. So now to hide the fact that he was an illegitimate child, Bundy was raised as the adopted son of his grandparents and was told that his mother was his sister. I mean, talk about just being messed up and just messing with a kid's mind. Now, Eleanor moved with Bundy to Tacoma, Washington a few years later and soon married uh, his stepfather, Johnny. From all appearances, Bundy grew up in a content, working-class family. He showed an unusual interest in a lot of different things at an early age. And at the age of three, he became fascinated by knives. A shy but very bright child, Bundy did well in school, but again, did not do well with peers. It seems like we see this over and over again, that a lot of these serial killers are very intelligent people, but they struggle with peers. They struggle with friends. And it seems like that is fairly common across, you know, the the different, I guess, um, descriptions of what serial killers are like. So, again, you know, a shy but bright child. He did well in school, but he struggled with his peers. So it's, it's amazing how we hear that over and over again. So now, as a teenager, a darker side of his character started to emerge. Bundy liked to peer in other people's windows and thought nothing of stealing things he wanted from people. So again, we've heard that from some of the different serial killers where they're looking in women's windows or looking in people's windows. And, you know, as I say that, I'm scrolling down in this article and I see this picture of Ted Bundy. I mean, he literally, he literally could have been a movie star. I mean, just a very handsome guy. And you could see how women meeting him would fall for him, to fall for his charms, fall for his good looks, you know, fall for his charisma. And with him being an intelligent guy, you know, they would be attracted to that aspect of his personality as well. So... Really, you know, he was like the perfect storm of being a serial killer where he had all these different things going for him that allowed him to gain the trust of the people that he was, you know, that he was uh, torturing and killing. So now he was an educated guy. Uh, Bundy graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in psychology in 1972. He had been accepted into law school in Utah, although he would never go to earn his degree. While a student at the University of Washington, Bundy fell in love with a wealthy, pretty young woman from California. She had everything he wanted. She had money, she had class, and she had influence. So he was a social climber. He wanted more than what his stepfather could provide. He didn't want to be a middle-class guy, didn't want to be blue-collar. He had ambitions of moving up in the world. So apparently they broke up, and he was absolutely devastated by their breakup. Many of Bundy's later victims resembled his college girlfriend, she was uh, an attractive student with long, dark hair, and many of the victims looked just like her. So could that have been the trigger? Could that have been the trigger that set him off where he was in love? He felt like this woman was going to be the person he spent the rest of his life with. She dumped him. She broke his heart. He was devastated. And then the killings were all women that resembled her. That is fascinating scary, creepy, and I can't even think of all the different words that brings to mind. So by the mid-1970s, Bundy had transformed himself 
becoming more outwardly confident and active in social and political matters. I'm guessing he was a Democrat. Oh, no. I see that he even got a letter of recommendation from the Republican governor of Washington after working on his campaign. So I guess I'm wrong. I guess not all serial killers are Democrats. So apparently he leaned towards being a Republican. Um, So victims now, I'm seeing different numbers. I've read different stories, and it seems like the actual number of people that he killed differs in many, many places. But now this this little part here is more of what I've read. Like I've heard some people say 22. I've heard some people say 33. But this is kind of like a confirmed number of killings that he confessed to. But actually, there there's another number that people assume that he may have killed actually many, many more. So Bundy confessed to 36 killings of young women across several states in the 1970s. But experts believe that the final tally may be closer to 100 or more women. The exact number of women that Bundy killed will never be known. His killings usually followed a gruesome pattern. He often raped his victims before beating them to death. And it seems like that all of these serial killers have their own pattern. They have their own type of person they like to abuse and murder. It seems like that they all have this, this set plan that they all go with that they all follow and you know each serial killer differs but they all have like kind of a similar pattern in the way they go about things so it's just i don't know just crazy to me so now while there is some debate as to when bundy started killing most sources say that he began his murderous rampage around 1974 Around this time, many women in the Seattle area in nearby Oregon went missing. So, you know, who knows when he started and who knows how many women were actually murdered before he started admitting to some of the women that he killed. I mean, I would think that a serial killer is not going to come out and be like, well, you know, you got me for 36. Let me give you another 50 that I've killed. I mean, they're probably not going to do that unless there's a reason for them to do it. So uh, stories circulated about some of the victims last being seen in the company of a young, dark haired dark-haired man known as Ted. He often lured his victims into his car by pretending to be injured and asking for their help. Their kindness proved to be a fatal mistake. And see, I hear things like that, and that just bums me out. Because honestly, you know, you, you like to think of a society where people are kind. You like to think of a society where people help other people. And you have a guy like this, who is preying on that. He's preying on the goodness of other people. He's preying on women that are willing to help a supposedly injured man. And because of that, they are you know caught and they become one of his murder victims. And just a terrible thing to, to really think about that because again, but you know, he, he had that look, he had the look of a guy that was handsome, that was charismatic. And I'm sure if a woman saw him, she would probably not think for a second that this guy was a serial killer. He looked innocent. He looked helpless. He's injured. And man, you know, when, when you see all of that, maybe sometimes it's time to run in the other direction. If something seems like it's too good to be true, I think a lot of times it is. So eventually in the fall of 1974, Bundy, moved to Utah to attend law school. So he finally did go after law school and women began disappearing there as well. So the following year, he was actually pulled over by the police. A search of his vehicle uncovered uh, a a whole collection of burglary tools, a crowbar, a face mask, rope, and handcuffs. 
I mean, if you're a police officer and you're pulling someone over and you find burglary tools, a crowbar, a face mask, rope and handcuffs, I mean, you're thinking, number one, maybe he's a burglar or maybe he is going in and abducting people and tying people up while he's robbing them. I mean, obviously, you don't have these type of things in your vehicle unless you're committing crimes. So he was arrested for possession of these tools on the spot. And the police began to link him to much more sinister crimes. So, you know, they, they caught this guy in a routine stop. He had these tools in his car, and they realized that there was something else to this guy, and they went after him. So in 1975, Bundy was arrested in the kidnapping of Carol Durange, one of the few women to escape his clutches. He was convicted and received a one to 15-year jail sentence. So I'm not sure how he could it could possibly be a one-year sentence now this is the part this is the part that astonishes me and i saw this in a documentary about ted bundy i saw a movie about ted bundy and if you if you really think about this this to me is just it it just builds in the things that you've heard about him the lore of what type of guy he was i mean this was a guy that used his charisma used his good looks he abducted women, he raped women, he murdered women, he had sex with them after they were dead. But in addition to all of the women women that he sexually assaulted and murdered and did horrible things to, when he finally went to prison, he escaped from prison twice in 1977. So he was able to escape from prison after being arrested, and he did it twice. I mean, that is just, to me, unbelievable. So the first time, he was indicted on murder charges for the death of a young Colorado woman and decided to act as his own lawyer in the case, figuring he was too smart and they couldn't catch him. So during a trip to the courthouse library, he jumped out of a window and made his first escape. He was captured eight days later. So the first time he escaped out of the courthouse, he was literally trying the case on his own. The guy jumps out of the bathroom and escapes or jumps out of the window in the bathroom and escapes. So in December, Bundy escaped from custody again. He climbed out of a hole he made in the ceiling of his cell. So, I mean, this is like this is like the Shawshank Redemption where you had, you know, Andy Dufresne who dug his way out of the jail cell and was able to escape from Shawshank Prison. I mean, here you've got Ted Bundy was in custody. He was in prison this time, and he climbed out of a hole he made in the ceiling of the cell. And he actually, in order to get through this hole, he dropped more than 30 pounds so he could fit through the small opening. So this guy was a genius. I mean, an evil genius. But I mean, first of all, if you're in prison, how do you make a hole in the ceiling big enough to get your body through without anybody noticing? I mean, I don't understand how that's a possibility. And you would think when they see him losing 30 pounds, that he probably had to wonder why that was the case. But he did it in order to fit through the opening and escape. So now authorities did not discover that Bundy was missing for 15 hours, giving, you know, giving the serial killer a big head start on the police. So he was out and about. He was gone. He escaped after losing 30 pounds and going through a hole that he, he had created. So after Bundy's second escape from prison, he eventually made his way to Tallahassee, Florida. So he escaped and he was gone. On the night of January 14th, 1978, Bundy broke into the Chi Omega sorority house at Florida State University. He attacked four of the young female residents, killing two of them, killing two of them in a sorority. On February 9th, Bundy kidnapped and murdered a 12-year-old girl named Kimberly Leach. These crimes were the final crimes 
that marked the end of his murderous rampage. He was soon pulled over by the police that February, and he was put back in prison. Now, the most damning evidence connecting Bundy to the two Kayamega murders at FSU were bite marks on one of their bodies, which were a definitive match to the bite pattern of Ted Bundy. So, again, they show a picture here. You know, they sh- <laughs> and honestly, this is a guy, if you saw him, you know, you'd want to be friends with him. Ladies, I'm sure a lot of them wanted to date him. Handsome, charismatic guy. But, you know, sometimes you can't tell a book by the cover. He was one of the most notorious criminals of the 20th century. Bundy was a 70s serial killer, raper, necrophiliac. and But finally, in 1989, he was executed in Florida's old Sparky electric chair. And I love that name for the electric chair. And they called it Old Sparky. So... In addition to some of the other things that Bundy did, I mean, we mentioned earlier that he loved knives since the age of three or four. He did have a psychology college degree. He did go after uh, a law school degree, but he did not complete that. And then he admitted to killing 36 women, while there may have been many, many more. And he also, in addition to the other things that he had done to the bodies, he actually decapitated 12 of the victims. Now, this is crazy. This is one of the quotes. Now, I know when we when we heard from Jeffrey Dahmer in the last show that we did, Jeffrey Dahmer seemed like he had shown some remorse. He knew he was a monster. Jeffrey Dahmer was a guy that was glad he was caught. He was a he was glad that he was a guy that was not going to be out hurting anybody anymore. But here with Bundy, you have kind of a different type of attitude. The quote that they got from him in prison was, "I don't feel guilty for anything." I feel sorry for people who feel guilt. And that to me, I mean, talk about a sociopath, talk about a guy that just didn't care that he was out ending the lives of people. He didn't care that he murdered multiple people. And just to everybody know, I'm, I just popped back into the chat. I want to say hello to everybody. Vinny, I see you all, all the people coming in, Mr. T, Jess Coltrane, Mike from Tampa Bay. I'm not taking any calls today. This will be about a 40 minute show, you know, tops. And I'm doing this on Ted Bundy, the serial killer, as you all know. So I want to thank all of you for coming in. If you're here for the first time, please follow my lot, follow my show, and please share my live if you get the chance. I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to go back to the story about Ted Bundy. And again, thank you for everybody that's coming into my live. And uh, I am going to be publishing this show out for download also to all the different platforms. So you can hear this on Podbean iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Okay, so now we're, we're going to go into the trial and talk a little bit about this. So during the trial, Bundy's good looks and again, his charm and intelligence made him something of a celebrity during his trial. And we see this time and time again, where you have murderers, you have rapists, you have people that are just evil people, but become popular. And it, it's just a crazy thing of the 20th century and the 21st century where people who commit evil with the help of media and with the help of you know television and now internet and social media they become famous they become celebrities and you have people that want to date them and marry them and to me it's just amazing to see that these type of things happen so apparently during his trial as we said you know his charm and intelligence made him a celebrity body uh, bundy fought for his life but was convicted and spent 9 years on death row appealing his death sentence in July of 1979, Bundy was convicted for the two Chi Omega murders at FSU. He was given the death penalty twice. He received another death sentence in 1980 for the murder of Kimberly Leach. That was the 12-year-old girl that was his last murder victim. And 
12 years old. That's completely heartbreaking. It was a young woman that, again, should not have lost her life. So Bundy appealed, trying to take his case as high as the U.S. Supreme Court, but was turned down. He was offered information on some of the unsolved murders to avoid Florida's electric chair, but he could not delay justice forever and was finally executed in 1989. So now there was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Klopfer, and she was actually Ted Bundy's girlfriend. So in 1968, uh, Bundy became, you know, began a six-year relationship with Elizabeth, whom he met at a Seattle bar. She was a single mom of a young daughter, and she struggled with alcoholism. Bundy took care of her, and she said he was warm and loving, and he probably could be. That was his, that was his mask. That was how he fooled people. That is how he lured people into a false sense of security. In 1974, uh, Elizabeth started to, started to suspect Bundy's crimes when she questioned him about odd behaviors like keeping a meat cleaver in his desk. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that, but that is pretty damn odd. Uh, he used his charm to deflect her concerns. Now, I'm at my desk, and I'm going to look in. I've got, like, staplers and stamps and things like that. There is no meat cleaver in my desk. So I would say that she was probably pretty smart to start to question him when she saw things like that happening. So uh, Elizabeth secretly went to the police with her suspicion of Bundy's involvement in prominent local murders, but they didn't believe that he was the killer. The pair remained together, although they grew very distant when Bundy moved to Olympia the following year. So obviously his girlfriend saw something. I mean, she said he was warm. She said he was charming, but she did see that maybe there was something there that was an issue. And again, the meat cleaver was probably a clue, <laughs> keeping it at his desk. So in 1975, uh, she went to the police again, this time with evidence that helped them to arrest the serial killer. Bundy had confessed to her over the phone from his prison cell that he had tried to kill her and couldn't resist his impulses when he felt his sickness, quote unquote, building in him. So that was a quotation. He called it his sickness building in him. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, I watched the uh, Showtime series Dexter, and I'm actually going to be in Dexter, which I'm pretty excited about, my son as well. But he calls it his dark passenger. Bundy describes it as his sickness building inside of him. So it seems like for whatever reason, the people that are serial killers, the people that do the most evil, have this presence in their body. I don't know if it's evil. I don't know if it's a part of their personality. I don't know if it's just a, an error in the way that they're wired. But when he says, you know, the sickness building inside of him, it was an impulse, again, that he couldn't control. And we see this time and time again with serial killers. And, you know, there have been a lot of people in this world that have been abused, and not all of them become serial killers. So it has to be a special combination of, you know, these impulses, maybe an abusive childhood, maybe you know, some type of wiring issue in their brain. But to me, I mean, you do see the same things over and over and over again, but it does seem that for whatever reason, they all have these impulses. They don't know where they come from and they are unable to prevent them, you know, prevent them from carrying out what they did. So now he also had a wife and a daughter. So in February, 1980, Bundy married Carol Ann Boone. She was a mother of two whom he dated before his initial arrest. In a courtroom during the penalty phase of his trial, he proposed and she accepted in the presence of the judge, making the marriage legitimate in Florida. The couple had met six years earlier when they were both working at the Department of Emergency Services in Olympia, Washington. 
Boone gave birth to a daughter, Rose, in 1982, and she named Bundy as her father. Not much is known about Rose today. Boone eventually realized Bundy was guilty of the crime. She divorced him three years prior to his execution. According to the rule book, a stranger beside me, Miss Boone stopped visiting Bundy during the last two years of his imprisonment. So we finally get to, you know, you, you hear about the birth. You hear about the birth of this monster, the birth of this evil person. You hear about the numerous women that he murdered, that he relentlessly raped and tortured, and then you know had sex with them before and after they were dead. He decapitated 12 of his victims. And not only that, but he escaped twice from custody, once from a courtroom and once from prison, and went out and killed more people. I mean, this is honestly what nightmares are made of, right? I mean, you know, Scary movies are one thing. You can watch Halloween. You can watch Friday the 13th. You can watch Nightmare on Elm Street, The Conjuring, you know, whatever movies you find to be scary. But to me, these are real-life horrors. These are real-life people who are the epitome of evil and go out and really work on our worst fears by you know, going out and establishing trust with people and ending their lives and and just abusing people and murdering them. And it's to me, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to know that in this world we live in, there are people like this that are the true embodiment of evil. They are the true embodiment of death and murder. And But finally, in 1989, on January 24th, Bundy was executed around 7 a.m. at the Florida State Prison in an electric chair that some have called Old Sparky. So I've heard of Old Sparky before. That was a pretty um, famous, well-known uh, electric stair chair in the state of Florida. So outside the prison, crowds cheered and even set off fireworks after Bundy's execution. Bundy's body was cremated in Gainesville, and no public ceremony was held. Before he was executed, he requested his ashes be scattered in the Cascade Mountains of Washington State, where he murdered at least four of his victims. I mean, honestly, I hope that they did not do that. I hope that they took his ashes and flushed them down the toilet where they belonged with the rest of the shit in this world. So, all right, now, there's been a lot done about Bundy over the years. There have been movies. There have been documentaries. Uh, Bundy has been a pretty popular name in popular culture. So he was an infamous, infamous national figure since his Florida trials. Bundy's life has been the subject of countless books and documentaries trying to shed light on the brutal killer's crimes. Well-known movies include The Deliberate Stranger, which was a 1987 television movie featuring Mark Hamill as Bundy. And I actually saw that. Another one is uh, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, debuted in 2019 at the Sundance Film Festival with Zac Efron as Bundy. And I haven't seen that. I've got to get out and see that. And I guess Lily Collins played Elizabeth. The film's title comes from the judge, Edward Coart's post-sentencing remarks to Bundy. And then there was another uh, series that was released called The Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes, and they were released the same year. Uh, the documentary features archival footage and audio recordings of Bundy's made on death row, along with uh, his present-day interviews. So we had, you know, again, books, we've had movies, we've had documentaries, we've had case studies, we've had so many different things that have been done about Ted Bundy. And for me, I wonder, I really wonder, I mean, do these things help the cause or do these things make it worse? Do these things glorify, you know, the murders and the crimes 
that he's done. And if there are people out there that are evil, that have issues, that have been abused, that maybe aren't wired properly, does this give them, you know, the, I guess, idea to become a serial killer? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if this benefits things, if it doesn't benefit things. But to me, it's just scary. It's scary to think about. It's horrifying. And one thing that I do like to do, I've done these in the uh, in the podcast that I've done so far. I want to read off some of the names of the women. Now, they have here on this list 26 of the women that they believe would murdered. And they've got little paragraphs underneath them. I'm not going to read the paragraphs. I'm going to read some of these names. And just so we can you know, kind of pay respect to the women uh, that he took their lives and he abused and he murdered. And uh, oh, I don't know. I might read some of the descriptions because I'm looking through them now, and honestly, some of them are pretty troubling, and they're very short descriptions. So maybe I actually will read these. Um, so I'm, I'm going to decide as I go through. The first one on the list is Joni Lenz. She was 18 years old. She survived the attack on January 4th, 1974. So she was a student at the University of Washington, and she apparently survived, but she was raped with a bedpost. So he raped her with a bedpost. And I can't imagine how horrible that must have been for that poor young woman. But she did survive it and was able to escape. So then there was another called another woman, uh, Linda Ann Healy. She was 21 years old. She died on February 1st, 1974. She was a University of Washington student. She was kidnapped and her body was found in 1975 on Taylor Mountain uh, in Washington. The next victim was Donna Gail Manson. She was 19 years old. She died in March in 1974. So he was really murdering quite a few people in a short amount of time. After confessing to Manson's murder, Bundy said he had burned her skull in Liz, in Liz Kendall's, his girlfriend's fireplace. Jesus. So obviously he decapitated her and burned her skull. I mean, evil. Evil is the only thing I can think of. Susan Rancourt was again 18 years old. She died again in April of 1974. Rancourt was abducted on the campus of Central Washington State College, and her skull was found later, again near Taylor Mountain, where Bundy placed several skulls over the years. Roberta Parks was 20 years old. She again also died in April. Parks was abducted from Oregon State University, and her skull was also found during that same search in Taylor Mountain that found the other skulls of other women as well. Then there was Brenda, Brenda Carol Bell. She's 22 years old. She died in June of 1974. And yet again, she was abducted from a small town in Seattle. And like many of Bundy's victims, her skull was also found at Taylor Mountain. Jesus. George Ann Hawkins, 18, missing since Ju June 11th, 1974. Hawkins disappeared while walking to her boyfriend's house, and her body was never found. Bundy confessed to knocking her unconscious and then killing her. And they unfortunately never found her, which is unfortunate for her family. They were never able to get closure on that case. There was Denise Nasland is the next one on the list. She was 18 years old. She died in July of 1974. She disappeared, disappeared from a state park. Two months later, her body was found on a hillside in Washington. Janice Ott was 23 years old. And, oh, it was my phone. So Janice Ott was 23 years old. She was abducted again at the same state park on the same day as Denise, and her body was also found in the same location uh, in Washington. Nancy Wilcox was 16 years old, missing since October 2nd, 1974, 
Wilcox went missing in uh, Holiday, Utah, after she went out to buy a pack of gum, but her body never had been found. Bundy confessed to sexually assaulting and strangling her, then burying her body near Capitol Reef National Park, located about 200 miles south of Salt Lake City. It just goes on and on. You've got Melissa Smith. She died in October of 1974. She was the teenage daughter of a Midvale police chief in Salt Lake City. She was raped and beaten by Bundy, and her body was found in the mountains nearby. Then we've got Laura Amy. She was 17. Uh, she, again, disappeared in 1974, and she disappeared on Halloween night. Amy's body was later found frozen in Provo Canyon. Carol Durange, 18 years old, uh, she survived an attack. So she was one of the few survivors. And in 1974, so in the Ted Bundy tapes, Durange said that Bundy identified himself as a police officer, told her that her car was broken into, and asked her to go down to the station. As he attempted to handcuff her, she fought off Bundy and escaped. So he almost got her, but she was able to fight off and escape from him. There was Deborah Kent. Again, in 1974, Bundy confessed to murdering Kent and burying her body in the same area as Nancy Wilcox. Next was Carolyn Campbell. She was 23 years old. She died in January of 1975. Campbell was heading to her hotel room in Aspen when she disappeared. Her body was found naked and beaten next to a road, and she was also tied to Bundy. Julie Cunningham was 26 years old. Cunningham was walking to a restaurant to meet up with a friend when she offered to help Bundy, who was pretending to struggle on crutches. He kidnapped her and put her in his trunk where he drove to the desert, strangled her to death, and left her body there. Denise Olivson, 24 years old, missing since April 1975. She disappeared while riding her bike to her parents' home. Bundy confessed to killing her and dumping her body in the Colorado River, but it was never found. Melanie Cooley, 18 years old, died in 1975. After disappearing on her way home from high school, Cooley was tied up and bludgeoned to death with a rock. Her body was found in Coal Creek Canyon. Bundy has been suspected in her murder, but it was never confirmed. Lynette Culver, 12. Missing since May 6, 1975, Culver was abducted from her neighborhood in Pocatello, Idaho, Bundy confessed he killed her and threw her body into the Snake River. Her body has also not been found. Heartbreaking. Kathy Kleiner, uh, 20 years old. Uh, she was attacked in 1978. Bundy bludgeoned Kleiner with a piece of firewood and left her with her jar hanging off. These, these are hard to read. They really are. So Karen Chandler, 23 years old, attacked in January of 1978. Chandler was uh, Kleiner's roommate at Chi Omega House, and Bundy beat both women at the same time despite a broken jaw and right arm and her and four teeth knocked out. Chandler actually survived this attack. So he was vicious. He was violent. Cheryl Thomas, 21, attacked uh, January of 1978. Bundy crawled through a window in the Thomas's Florida State University home and attempted to beat her to death. She survived after her neighbor raised an alarm over the noise. Kimberly Leach, again, this was the last victim, 12 years old again, died February 1978. Leach was one of Bundy's youngest and last victims. She disappeared in the middle of the school day, and then her body was found two months later in a shed behind a state park. After being sentenced to death, Bundy spent 11 years on death row before he was electrocuted by the electric chair. So, you know, there you have it, everybody. I'm back in the room now. I see everybody that's in here. So thank you for everybody that's coming to the show. 
if you get a chance, please follow my show. Please share my live. That helps me get some engagement points. I'm going to be doing more in this serial killer series. I've done four so far. So if you've missed the ones I've done, they're, they're all available on all the platforms. You can find them on Podbean, on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, wherever you get your podcasts. The downloads are there. You can listen to my first that was on H.H. Holmes, which was he was a notori- notorious serial killer that may have killed hundreds of people. He had a murder castle in Chicago, and many people believed he was actually the same person as Jack the Ripper. That was proved not to be true, but H.H. H. Holmes is without a doubt one of the most notorious serial killers out there, and you can listen to that via download. My second show was on John Wayne Gacy. He, quite frankly, in my opinion, is one of the scariest He was a man that dressed up as Pogo the Clown. He was a pillar of his community, killed multiple children, and then buried them in the crawl space of his house. So he was just an evil man. People loved him in town. And the one thing that really makes me think about John Wayne Gacy a little bit, freak out about him, is that when they talk about, you know, he would trick a lot of the victims. He would trick them into believing, you know, I'm a clown. Let me do a magic show for you. So he would trick them. And then you would get them in handcuffs and you would see this clown who was happy-go-lucky and funny turn into like this maniacal Pennywise type of clown that just became like a, a, a evil murderer who tortured people and murdered them and then raped them after they were dead. And just a, just an evil, evil, evil soul. The third show I did uh, was on Jeffrey Dahmer. He was pretty infamous as well. He was a person that at the end of his life did show remorse, but he murdered, tortured, dissected people ate them and kept a lot of their body parts as trophies in his house, in a refrigerator and in a freezer. He did actually show remorse at the end of his life. And he knew he was a monster. He knew what he was, but he again had that same impulse that so many of them have. And the one we did today, as you know, was on Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy, you know, again, after more than a decade of denials, he confessed to over 30 homicides. Some people believe it could have been over a hundred And he would typically approach his victims in public places, faking injury or disability, impersonating impersonating an authority figure like a police officer before knocking them unconscious and then taking them to another location to rape, strangle and murder them and then have sex with them again. So anyway, you know, I figured this would be a fun thing for me to do during the month of October. I've done four so far. I'm going to do roughly, you know, 10 to 15. So look every week. I'm going to be broadcasting live, not taking calls in these shows, but I will be broadcasting live probably twice a week with these series. And if you miss any of them, you can look on any of the platforms, find the podcasts. And as I said, right now you can go on and you can find H.H. Holmes. You can find uh, John Wayne Gacy. You can find... Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, and now Ted Bundy will be published uh, tonight. So for everybody that came in, I see the people that are here, Snow Pro, Nida, it's good to see you, Mr. T, everybody that came in, Mike, I see you in here, buddy. Vinny, good to see you, brother. Um, but I'm going to continue to do these, and then we, we may even branch out and start to do some more things like maybe looking at unsolved crimes. As you know, I did do a show, a few shows on Gabby Petito and Brian Laundry. This is something of interest to me. And I'm going to probably start looking into some real-life murder cases that maybe we can report on and take a look at. So I hope you all enjoyed this. Um, If you have any serial killers that you would like me to do in one of these shows, then please uh, send me a message on Instagram, send me a message on Twitter, or you can email me at thejohndevitoshow at gmail.com. And that's J-O-N-D-I-V-I-T-O show at gmail.com. All right, everybody, I love you. I hope you have a great night. 
I'll be back on tomorrow morning at 1120 to celebrate Eric Kirk's birthday. And then over the weekend, I will be doing another show on another infamous serial killer. I'm not sure who it's going to be yet. This one will be a surprise. (laughs) All right, everybody, take care and have a great day. All right. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.